This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome back, friends and family of Awareness Explorers. Good to have you back as we explore the inner realms. I'm Jonathan Robinson. I'm with my co-host. Brian Tom O'Connor. And the topic today is reverence, awe, and devotion. And those are three things that really are interrelated, but as we unpack them, there's going to be a lot to learn about those three wonderful feelings and a lot to discover about how to bring them into your life and also some dangers attached to them. So when we initially thought of this topic, Brian, what were the first things that popped into your very fine working mind? <laughs> well, one of them that you just mentioned, which is danger, particularly around devotion. I think there's great danger in devotion as well as the possibility of great beauty. And uh, the same thing for reverence and awe, although possibly less danger in awe. Well, you know, anything that's powerful sex, drugs, rock and roll, also can have a dark side or a dark use. So you have to be careful with anything that's powerful. And certainly reverence, awe, and devotion are all powerful experiences that human beings can have. And I think you're right that uh, especially devotion, when it's targeted towards a person, uh, especially a guru or a political figure, it can lead to problems. That doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with devotion. That means that there's something wrong with who we get devoted to or what we get devoted to. And also sometimes that can be useful. You know, I had a certain amount of devotion for my teacher and that didn't cause problems in this case, but we can see throughout history that people have been devoted to everybody from Stalin and Mao Zedong to, uh, Hitler and, and gurus that ended up hurting people. Yes, that's right. Uh, and, uh, but there are plus sides to devotion. I mean, one of the reasons for devotion is that it creates a, a, a feeling of love. And when you were talking in particular about devotion for a guru, one of the reasons that we follow the devotional or bhakti path, as some folks call it, is to let go of our own sense that we make all of our decisions and we control everything. To, in other words, to sort of soften our own will. But then the problem is that when that will becomes the will of a guru who might misuse that, then that's the problem. And the central problem, as I see it, is a problem of direction. In other words, where are we placing, what direction are we placing our attention? When devotion means that all our attention is directed outwards, then mm -hmm. I, think it's not, I think it's not useful and at worst harmful. But when we are devoted to truth, when we are devoted to love, when we are devoted to our own true nature and the direction is turned within, when we have a good guru who's, who, who helps us, who uses pointers to turn our attention to within, to that universal 
consciousness, then I think it's valuable and wonderful. I like how you brought up the concept that you can be devoted to a concept, for example, to truth, or yes. devoted to courage. And I hadn't thought of it that way. But you really could bring all those feelings that you might have towards a, a Jesus or a Buddha to a principle that you know will take you deeper and deeper into the mystery of life. Yes. And I love that idea. That, that's that's mind-blowing for me. I really appreciate that. But I also have something I disagree with in that it, you can have devotion to a guru as kind of a stepping stone that you know, when you're starting out on the path, you might not know up from down and a good teacher doesn't have to be a famous guru, a good teacher that you really have reverence for, that you really respect and have incredible honoring for can help you to more quickly get in touch with the inner guide we all have, our inner connection to pure awareness or true nature. And I think in that sense that nowadays people don't so much have that reverence or devotion. And I think sometimes it slows people down because instead of learning from an expert, you're learning from your trial and error yourself. And that can be a lot slower process sometimes. Yes, I agree. And a really wise and loving and useful and modest and humble guru can really... Like us. <laughs> can really help um can really help us along the way because when we start on the spiritual path it's all these concepts in our minds and we really think that what we have to do is figure it out with our minds and a really good guru one who i believe is worthy of devotion points us toward our hearts yeah yeah you know there's a lot of things that one can be devoted or have reverence for things like nature. I have a lot of reverence and devotion towards my dogs. And, you know, people might laugh at that, but there's a feeling, you know, I, I've met a lot of the most famous gurus in the world from Muktananda to Sai Baba to Mother Teresa to the Dalai Lama. And of course, when I met those people, I had reverence. It's not unlike the feeling that I have when I, when I pet my dog and look into her eyes. So. I think the feeling of reverence and devotion, which is such a heart-opening experience, uh, you want to you get the goods without falling into the traps. And a dog or a cat or your mate or your child or a baby or a tree or a concept like truth can all be pretty safe ways to tap in. And I think everybody has to find the ways that they can tap into reverence on devotion without uh, the, the easiest for them without it, it causing a problem in their life. Yes, absolutely. And, and reverence, and I, I certainly uh, have reverence and awe for things like musical theater. Mm. I see a great musical or just a straight play that's just wonderfully written and wonderfully acted in, in a theater. I just, I'm just in awe of the beauty and the creativity and, and I love it. But the, but the trick about it is, the trick with reverence in particular, is that we don't revere something because it is sacred 
and holy and separate and different from us. You know, that, that then we set it apart. Then we create division and we create duality. But when we revere it because we recognize something universal there and because we honor the sense of identification with others as ourselves. I mean, Rupert Spira says that love and beauty are the elimination of the sense of separation between the perceiver and the perceived. Mm, mm. He's always so poetic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing that you can revere or be devoted to, ironically, is reverence and devotion. <laughs> you know, that you value those, you honor them, you're looking for them, you're seeking them out, you're trying to, you know, most people have something that they might revere, like, you know, watching the birth of a baby or, you know, being in Yosemite. But hopefully it doesn't take something so extreme before we tap into that awe that feeds our soul, you know, that you could pet your dog or you could look at your hand. I mean, you know, I, there's times I've been on drugs where I look at my hand and it's total awe, like, oh my God. <laughs> me too. And when I'm not on drugs, which is for me all the time, I look at my hand and I, it's, it's awesome. It's amazing. Not only is it beautiful, but it's amazing how it functions and how it works. And the same way with nature. But I'm also in awe of buildings, of creativity, mm of shop windows, of just beauty of the world in, in all its facets and all its appearances. I, I'm appreciating that you have additional ways of tapping into awe than I do. Uh, you know, I never thought of shop windows. I remember reading a spiritual teacher and um, they asked him, what do you most love to do? And his answer really tweaked my brain. He said, my favorite thing is to go to supermarkets to the cereal aisle and just look at all the colors and forms and creative things that people put on those boxes. Well, you know, I've never tapped into awe doing that before he said that, but I have since then I've looked at it and I go, wow, there's, there's 200 types of cereal, which is amazing. And look at all these wonderful colors and artwork for free. And, you know, so really people can expand what brings them a sense of reverence, awe, and devotion. And some things might be easy, like, you know, nature. But when you hear you talk about truth or shop windows, it does help me to expand my idea of what's possible. Yes. And I love your description of, uh, of, of, being in a supermarket and it reminds me of a wonderful story that was told to me by a wonderful actress and teacher named Betsy Parrish. Elizabeth Parrish was her stage name. And she was friends with the famous and legendary acting teacher, Stella Adler. And they used to go into a supermarket and pretend that they had never seen anything in it before. Mm -hmm. And they would pick up an orange and say, what's this? I don't know. It's so round and they would smell it and it has a fragrance and, oh, you can feel it. And, and they would go around to things and, and be amazed at what they found in a supermarket, pretending that they had never seen it before. And that's sort of like, don't know mine. That's sort of like 
the, the exercise of the just born identity, experiencing things fresh as you were a child without all the concepts that we've acquired over the years. I love that. I'm going to have to do that with a friend and, and just play that game. Because I think if you kind of play that game, it will, you'll be able to tap into it soon because, you know, a, an orange is an amazing thing. It's just our dullness of mind that has kept us from that reverence and awe. And really we have to find our way back to doing it with more and more things. Yeah, that's right. You know, one way people tap into reverence on devotion is through uh, heroes, you know, whether they be sports heroes or rock stars or, you know, people like Martin Luther King or Mother Teresa, that we, we like to revere other people. You just want to make sure you're, you're not going overboard and, you know, devoting your life to someone who who can't support your, your putting them on a pedestal. Uh, but I think that that's, and we do that with entrepreneurs like Elon Musk, you know, they have all these followers. And I think to some extent, you become a little bit like your hero. So if your hero in the world is Elon Musk, that will inspire you one way. If your hero in the world is the Dalai Lama, that kind of inspires you another way. Yes, that's absolutely right. And, and I found that my heroes in life have really influenced me. Uh, my first hero was a, an artist and cartoonist, Saul Steinberg from the New Yorker magazine. I thought mm -hmm. he was so creative and I wanted to be a cartoonist just like him. And to this day, I revere Saul Steinberg because he is so creative. But I realized that human creativity is, is just for me personally, that's other than the truth of universal awareness, which I am devoted to completely. But other than that, human creativity, I find just so inspiring and awesome. But the trick is not to, not to put yourself down or to lower yourself or to feel unworthy compared to, you know, mm -hmm. it is, mm -hmm. to, is to imagine what it would be like to look at the world through a great artist's eyes or through anyone else's eyes. And then, like yeah. I talked about at the beginning, it's about a change in direction. It's not, it's not sending your devotion outward. It's allowing your devotion to turn yourself inward to the love that is your basic nature. I agree with you that there's a way to revere someone without creating more separation. For example, you know, I've been to a bunch of Bruce Springsteen concerts and there's, it's something interesting because he creates such a sense of togetherness and intimacy, even if there's 90,000 people there. And there's a sense of reverence towards him because he's the one person that everybody in that crowd loves. And sometimes in all of his abilities to do that, but it doesn't feel like, you know, Bruce is so great. It's kind of like we human beings can do that as represented by Bruce. Yes. And that's a wonderful feeling. Um, I recently, just last Sunday, saw Paul McCartney in concert. And there was also that sense of, I revere this guy's talent, this, the ability for a human being to create 
songs that bring people together. And it's not so much about Paul McCartney, it's about us human beings and revering that level of talent or that ability. When you see somebody catch a football while falling backwards with one hand, you just have to say, oh my gosh, that fills me with awe. Yes. And, and that's a wonderful feeling. And um, I think that's why we like rock stars and sports heroes and things like that, because they do give us an entryway into reverence and awe. Absolutely. I completely agree. I mean, looking at a great singer or, or, or loving the creativity of Paul McCartney or watching a great uh, Michael Jordan or, or, or Roger Federer, um, it's a wonderful feeling and it's amazing. But when you talked about being in the concert, I think that's a really important sort of comparison to being in a sangha with a guru, because you're in there with a whole bunch of people who are experiencing something very similar at the same time. So it's not only awe for the performer on the stage, but it's also that feeling of connection with everyone around you, with sharing that. And when you get that feeling in, 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 a, um, in a satsang or or a meeting with a, with a very wise, enlightened teacher. It's not just the teacher, it's, it's your connection with everybody there, the energy in the room. It's utterly palpable and, and often really quite delightful. Yeah, rock stars are our, our form of guru meditation and devotion. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty amazing. You know, something I was uh, looking at uh, some movies and TV shows on Netflix and in the descriptions, they usually have like three words like witty, dystopian, irreverent. And in fact, the word irreverent was the most common word I found in descriptions of movies and television shows. And I found that interesting that to some extent we are revering irreverence. We are revering that we can kind of feel superior and make fun of anything. And I think that's a sad thing about our culture. Our culture is that we are like, oh, we're, we're better than people. Or there's a certain type of protection that protects our heart, you know, which can also be useful and can be funny sometimes. But there's a vulnerability to reverence, awe, and devotion. And I think that's one of the obstacles to allowing ourselves to experience it more. I think that's a really wonderful distinction. And I never really thought of it that way because I admit that I am, uh, that I revere irreverence as well. Um, mm -hmm. But when you describe it as a feeling of superiority, that's not how I experience irreverence. And if I did, I would say, okay, Tomorrow, I'm going to make an effort to no longer be irreverent. But when I experience irreverence, it's more like it's more like puncturing the bubble of pretension. It's more mm -hmm. like it's more like saying, you know, because I, I, for instance, the words holy and sacred seem meaningless to me when everything is holy and sacred, mm -hmm. and it seems to create a separation. And so, putting things on a pedestal, I, you know, is sort of like you know, making them holy and separate and better than everything else. When the real value of reverence and awe is to, 
is to notice how loving something or someone creates a loosening of the separation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so your point that I get from that, get from that is that there might be different obstacles for different people. The way I use irreverence, there is kind of a tinge of superiority to it. So for me, it can be an obstacle to reverence on devotion. But I think everybody has one or more big obstacle to experiencing these things more often. And I thought it'd be interesting to explore what some of those obstacles might be. You know, you go to India and there's a lot more reverence on devotion. You know, it's just like in the air. And, you know, or you go to Bali, there's a temple within 100 yards of you, wherever you are. Whereas here, you know, if we're going to be devoted, you know, we might feel it, you know, on, on Easter or if we're in a church or a synagogue, but it's really not a common part of our culture. And so one obstacle is that we're kind of swimming upstream in a Western culture that's very materialistic and has explanations for everything. And you have to be aware that that's just part of the, the, the water we're swimming in. Yes, but that's the beauty part of knowing and learning about awareness practices and non-duality is, is actually you can step out of the mainstream culture. You can, mm -hmm. you, can, you can flow with a different river because of course you can't swim upstream against the river, but you can, you can flow in a different river. I don't know whether this metaphor really works at all, but you don't have to live your life revering material things. And when, and I think when we revere our possessions or our professional achievements, even our status, when we revere that, that's all about separation, superiority, inferiority. I'm better, you're worse. And it's all about that. So, uh, you know, it keeps coming back to the two principles. What direction does this point our attention to? And does it reinforce or get in the way of a sense of unity, oneness mm -hmm. with all things? Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be that people revered the sun, you know, uh, so that was always available and not really a downside. The sun wasn't going to necessarily create a scandal. And yet what I hear you say is that certain things that we do revere kind of are sticky and they bring us down. If you're revering money, for example, which is as close to anything that Western culture reveres as anything, you know, something that everybody has extreme value for. There's stickiness to it. There's, there's problems associated with it because it can't really hold, hold our hearts. It doesn't, it doesn't point us really towards these expansive feelings of unity, which is really what we're after. Yes, that's right. And not that there's anything wrong with having money. I don't have any value judgments against it. But as you say, when you revere it above all things, I, I think much better to revere 
uh, compassion, to revere kindness, to revere humility, to revere love and just simple friendliness and interaction among people. And of course, to revere your true nature as pure awareness, universal consciousness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And think of it like pulling on a thread like art, you know, you um, a piece of art that inspires you is like pulling on a thread and or a rope that you can climb back all the way to true reverence, awe and devotion, where you see an act of kindness. And you kind of can follow that where that came from that came from the source of our, of our love. Or sometimes we've talked about what we call pure conscious experience that you're just looking at a cup and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is made of the earth and people trucking it in and painting it and, and putting it in the store. And you can kind of expand that everything is connected. Uh, uh, somebody I know, AJ Jacobs wrote a, a book called Thanks a Thousand. And he was drinking a cup of coffee and he thought, I wonder how many people are involved in this cup of coffee. And he decided to write a book in which he tried to thank every person involved in the cup of coffee from the person growing the beans to trucking it, to picking out the beans, to selling it, to like that. It ends up pretty much that all the people in the world were involved, you know? So he couldn't, he, he decided to thank the first 1000 people, you know, and that involved people who made the tires for the trucks and people who got the oil from the ground and people who tasted the beans and people who roasted the beans and people who, you know, got the coffee plants. And, and as he started to see that more and more things took on like a, an, an extra dimension rather than, eh, it's just a cup, just a cup of coffee. It became, this is a product of all of human ingenuity brought to me for a dollar in, in, you know, my house. Absolutely. Well, if anything is worthy of reverence, awe, and devotion, it's the interconnectedness of all things that that yeah. illustrates. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we talked a little bit about the obstacles, but I noticed that another obstacle to me for reverence on devotion is just the pace of life moving from one thing to another. Reverence on devotion needs space. In fact, it needs like a certain quietness, a certain I'm not moving on to the next thing. And that's why presence is usually the doorway or the entryway to reverence, awe, and devotion. Absolutely. Presence is, is key. It's absolutely key. And, that, and if you want to choose another thing for, to be devoted to, it's presence. Ooh, I like that. Being devoted to presence. Instead of my to-do list? <laughs> sure. It doesn't mean you, you have to ignore your to-do list, but as you're checking things off, you're doing it presently. Uh -huh. I do seem to have a certain amount of devotion to my to-do list. I just have to move that, that deep sense of devotion that I have <laughs> to it and move it towards presence. And I think that that's like the one step to enlightenment. Yes, I, on the hand, I probably have a sense of irreverence towards my to-do list. Although I do manage to get things done somehow. 
I, I hope to, to learn more from you on that, Brian. Well, um, I don't know. I, I think we and, just have know, our own ways. Something that I went to an Adyashanti retreat uh, about three years ago, and he said a line that completely floored me. And I don't know why, but when he said it, I immediately began crying. It touched me so deeply. And so now that I've set it up for people to be disappointed by this line, um, I will tell you what he said. He said that letting go is an act of devotion. Beautiful. And it really made me value letting go more. You know, because letting go is something that, you know, we all get caught up in thoughts or worries or whatever we get caught up in. But the act of saying, okay, I'm going to let go of this and go back to presence. He says that that's an act of devotion. You could say an act of devotion to God or yourself or to beingness. But I started to connect letting go with devotion. And that changed how I was looking at that. It used to be letting go is something I had to do and I was forcing myself to do it because, you know, I'm caught up in this and I'll try right. to do it. But when it became a offering to God or an offering to my highest self, it became a heart-oriented, joyful activity and not just a thing to do. What a wonderful and valuable tip. Mm. I'm glad I reminded myself of it. I, <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I often forget. <laughs> you know, when you talk about obstacles, uh, another one that occurred for me uh, is the, this is an obstacle I think that's particularly involved in devotion, is the relinquishing of your own responsibility for your own happiness and the relinquishing and the idea that somehow you're going to get what you need from someone else and they're going to give it to you and devotion can sometimes lead to that and it can mm -hmm. start i mean for me it started you know early on and psychologically and with my my therapist was like he's going to cure me as opposed to i'm the only one who can choose happiness for myself. And, and when I moved on to learning from spiritual teachers, there's, yes, you have to, there's a certain amount of trust and you have to, you have a certain amount of humility you have to bring to it. Like, okay, everything I've tried so far hasn't worked. You know, mm -hmm. maybe you have something wise to tell me that worked, but at the same time, it's not this thing you get from them. It's this, it's this happiness is within yourself. You turn your attention within and it's, you're the only person who can do that. A teacher can point you in that right direction and a good teacher will consistently point you in that direction, but it is totally within you and only you have the power to be that happiness knowingly. Always good to hear that because uh, we only forget it, you know, 60, 70 times a day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And luckily, 
as we've talked about these doorways to reverence on devotion, as you open more and more of those doors, it's easier to let go of our looking for at money or people or whatever we look to to make us happy. You know, because we realize the door is always right in us and how we, what lens we are looking at the world through the lens of busyness or the lens of reverence, the lens of trying to get something or the lens of awe. And all those lenses are always available and we get to decide which ones we feed, which ones we wear. Yes, I, I would say that that phrase always available is probably one of the most important things I ever learned in the spiritual path. Mm -hmm. You're right, it's always available. Love, our true nature, happiness, Satchitananda, pure awareness, whatever you want to call it, it's always available. It's always there. And it was already there. And it is, we are what we seek. So we don't find it and create it and bring it inside. We just simply take away all the mental veils, all the concepts. We just brush aside. We, 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 we pull aside the curtains to see that it's there and to notice it and experience and to be it. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this, my challenge to you during this next period of time is that you open the aperture within you to more reverence, awe, and devotion and see what it's like trying to open more to that in everyday life in whatever way appeals to you. And I think that as we do that, we're not only making ourselves happier and more expanded, but I think we bring more joy to the people around us and we bring more spiritual evolution into the world because that's these, these three feelings are close to they're really qualities of our true nature. Yes, beautiful. What a great challenge. Mm -hmm. Any last thoughts, words on this topic, Mr. O'Connor? I'm simply curious as to what you have in mind for a guided meditation on this subject. I am curious too. Luckily, I do have something in mind. And uh, let's go into that. I do want to mention before we go into the meditation that we appreciate our Patreon supporters that you can support us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers. And we give our Patreon supporters extra stuff from blog posts to extra interviews to guided meditations that we don't put online necessarily. And we try to treat you really well because you treat us well. And everything you need to know is at patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers. And thank you for making this possible. And of course, if you love this stuff, tell your friends and create an awareness exploring family, in which you get to discuss these topics. Because it's not just Brian and I, it's really these are things that we want to bring into our daily lives as it helps us to not compartmentalize our spirituality, but instead bring it as part of what we're doing in life is we're trying to tap into higher states of consciousness. Beautiful.
and we are in awe and we revere and we are devoted to you, our listeners. Exactly, exactly. So let's begin with a meditation devoted to reverence, awe, and devotion. And to do that, begin by making yourself comfortable. And when you can, close your eyes, take a couple of slow, deep breaths. In fact, you can feel a little bit of reverence and awe for how the simple act of inhalation feeds literally trillions of cells almost instantaneously with oxygen. Now I want you to think of a time that you experienced reverence or awe or even devotion. It could have been relationship to a beautiful spot in nature or looking at a baby or perhaps a person doing something that filled you with awe. Just choose one experience for now. As you remember this time when you were filled with reverence or awe, recall exactly where you were and what impacted you. Notice what about this experience made it so special and try to tune into that as best you can. Notice if there is any resistance to opening up to this experience again. And if so, see if you can let this resistance go as your act of devotion and more fully embrace the feelings of this wonderful time in your life. Imagine you can bring this experience even closer and turn up the sounds and sensations and feelings of reverence and awe that you tapped into. Breathe into these heart-opening feelings more and more with each breath as the breath itself feeds the trillions of cells in your body. Now remember another time you felt great reverence or awe in your life. And once again, remember the specifics of where you were and what led to this wonderful experience.
Breathe in these feelings deep into your body. Allow the feelings to wash over you. In a moment, I'm going to have you slowly open your eyes. Not quite yet. When you do open your eyes, I am going to want you to look at either of your hands. Now, bringing your attitude of reverence to your own hand, slowly begin to open your eyes and look at one of your hands. Take your time and realize that your hand is a product of billions of years of evolution. It consists of 27 bones and billions of cells working together in harmony. No two fingerprints of any person ever born is the same. It is uniquely you. See if you can tap into a sense of reverence or awe for your own hand as you realize that this appendage instantly does whatever you tell it to do. It flexes in almost infinite ways. Your hand effortlessly senses temperature, sensation, pressure, and it can even repair itself when injured. It's indeed a wonder, as is the rest of your body. Now see if you can tap into some reverence or awe for your entire body which consists of trillions of cells, hundreds of bones, working together with hundreds of billions of neurons to give you an experience of being alive on this rotating rock, speeding through infinite space. Just allow the wonder of it all to enter into your feelings and your being. And with each breath, open to it more and more. And when you're ready to bring an attitude of reverence and awe to your normal day-to-day -day activities, begin to slowly move your body. Notice that your body does whatever you think. Amazing. And breathe deeply and see that you are surrounded by an incomprehensible, magical universe. 
that is always right here, right now. And when you're ready, feel free to get up and enjoy your day. Well, I think there's really only one word to describe that meditation. And I guess you know what it is. Awesome. Ah, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, you know, those feelings are really very close to the surface. Yeah. And when we bury them through all the different things we do, we kind of rip ourselves off. That's true. We rob ourselves of something that's just so freely available. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, any last words before we launch people into the radical experience of reverence on devotion? The only thing I can think of is just to say how much fun this conversation was for me. Yeah. I hope yeah. it was for you and for our listeners. I'm looking forward to opening my aperture a little bit and seeing how many moments I can be struck with how magical the universe really is. Oh, I love that phrase, open your aperture. Mm -hmm. So please do that. Doing that is an act of devotion, an act of honoring the gift of life. Until next time, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends, because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.